There are eight shopping days left until Christmas. Just, just a heads up, just a heads up, in case you were wondering how much time you had left to wait till the very last minute to shop. You, if you wait, you know, exactly eight days from now until, say, right after the Christmas Eve 11 p.m. service, there will probably still be stores open. At least 7-Eleven and everybody who does not like a taquito that's been out for 72 hours. That's, uh, that, I'm looking for that in my stocking. Thank goodness Linda's not here to hear me this morning say that because my wife might do that for me and I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. So, you know, uh, last week uh, I told you all to stop along the road, not to live from destination to destination to destination. And then beginning immediately following worship last week, I lived this entire week from destination to destination to destination to destination. One of those destinations this week was the... Uh, the clergy uh, luncheon, Christmas luncheon. Uh, there are three different ones depending upon where you are in the district. And so I went and had clergy lunch at Firebirds down in Potomac. And it, was, it was pretty nice and we sat around. And Jeff always likes to engage us. My district superintendent likes to engage us. So he asked us all to tell us who we are and what we, you know, and, and where we serve, and how long we've been there, and, you know, people's mouths drop open when I tell them. But in any case, you know, then, you know, our favorite Christmas tradition. And it was a delight to listen to all these folks talk about the things that they do. But one that really struck me, this woman I, I don't know, and now I can't remember her name, although I can see her face, um, who served somewhere on the district, obviously, because she was at this lunch, talked about how her big thing about Christmas is she collects nativity scenes. And she has, I don't know, a bazillion nativity scenes, a lot. And, at, you know, at the beginning of Advent every year, right at the beginning of Christmas, they set up the nativity scene, but there's no, there's no baby Jesus. And on Christmas morning, the baby Jesuses, all of them, appear underneath the Christmas tree, and the first thing that the kids have done, and now apparently they're in their 20s, uh, the kids do, and they still do it, they gather, and they get all the baby Jesuses out, and they match the baby Jesus with the right manger scene. Not that it matters if he's in the right manger scene. I'm sure no matter what manger scene he's born in, it'll be fine. But I thought to myself, isn't that, you know, totally cool? And maybe that story would go better uh, next week, except to say um, it's so easy to get caught up in all these destinations. It's so easy to get caught up that we forget why we're doing this thing, this entire thing that leads up to Christmas. And sure, scholars believe that December 25th is probably not Jesus' birthday. It's probably not at all. The whole reason we chose it, uh, the church chose to celebrate the birth of Jesus at this time of year as it's right after winter solstice and it's the days are getting longer and the light's coming into the world. And what more symbolic, a powerful day to choose but the lengthening of days because the light's coming into the world. And uh, so they chose that. Uh, we don't actually know and there's no written, no one was writing down, you know, we wish they would have. You know, could you etch it in stone exactly what time, you know, I know on my birth certificate, 3.25 a.m., October the 2nd, I was born. 
Uh, and mom can tell you, yes, at 3.25 a.m. I was a witness. No, well, she's not like that at all. But in any case, uh, yes, at 3.25 I was born. Wish could know that about Jesus. So today's part of the story is really even not even a whole verse. You know, in fact, it's a throw-off kind of clause at the end of a verse, uh, at the end of a verse in the Bible that says, and she gave birth to a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. So I'm focusing on that whole no room at the end kind of thing. Now, as I thought about the whole no room at the end, there are so many things to... So I did all my research this week, spent time with the inn. You know, scholars don't know what they meant by inn. In the ancient, probably Bethlehem was not a big town, so there wasn't like, you know, a hotel. You know, we think of it like a mo- even, at least a Motel 6. You know, it might be cheap, but at least, you know, the rooms are clean and they leave the light on for you. You know, that kind of thing. That's what we uh, envision for an inn, but it was probably more like a hostel, and uh, a youth hostel, and there would have been two rooms, one for men and one for women, and that's the way it would have been, you know, when people came into town, you laid out your mat on the floor uh, uh, in whatever room it was, uh, and you paid some small pittance and there was a space for you, uh, hospitality, because hospitality was a big deal. So... This idea of there not being any room at the inn, it's not hard to believe. Bethlehem's a small town. There probably wasn't a lot of uh, people in town. And the only reason there was a lot of people in town now was because of the artificial reason that we were taking a list of everybody so that we could tax everybody. Um, And that was the whole reason. So it's artificially enlarged, and then it's artificially uh, made smaller later on. So there's no room at this end. There's no space at this end. Now, of course, I talk to people all the time, and I used to think this. You know, I was a young man once, and I just imagined, well, you know, if Jesus had come to my house, there would have been room for that boy. For Mary and Joseph, we would have opened up our house. We would have opened up the guest bed. No, I wouldn't have. Because, first of all, I don't know who Mary and Joseph are. The only reason I know who Mary and Joseph are is because 2,000 years later, I think, wow, that guy was totally cool, and that gal was totally cool. They said yes to God way before anybody knew anything about it. And the deal is, they arrived in Bethlehem before anybody knew who this guy was, who this gal was, who their child was going to be. Of course we would make room for Jesus if we knew it was Jesus. Chances are pretty good we would not make room for some Middle Eastern family that showed up our front door right now and said, we need a place to stay. I don't know how many of you, I've got a guest bedroom. I think I might stumble a little bit over uh, just inviting strangers into my house. But in the ancient Middle East, actually, that, that wouldn't have been a big deal. Somebody shows up at your house and says they need space. It was your obligation to offer hospitality. But apparently, not only was there no room at the end, probably no room anywhere else. Because everybody was in town for this thing. And Mary and Joseph were just another everybody. They weren't somebodies, they were everybody's. Now, enter into that, what do we do with that 2,000 years later? What do we do with making space? Well, when I think of hospitality, I think of two kinds of hospitality. I think of one where I open up my home, and then I think of one where I open up my heart, where I make space for somebody else. 
Now what's interesting is one of the most important practices that I have developed in my life that's helped me be more spacious on the inside is centering prayer. Centering prayer and meditation is designed, its whole purpose is to create space inside of you. Because for 20 minutes, you're doing everything in your power not to think something, not to let a thought cross your mind, not to become focused on the fact that the fan just turned on, or the fan just turned off, or it's hot in here, or it's not hot in here, or whatever it is that sort of focuses and brings you out. You're just opening yourself up on the inside. And you open yourself up enough so God can do whatever God's going to do, but you can also see the pattern in your own brain. The pattern in your own brain is to think up a problem and try to fix it. If there's no problem, there's got to be a problem, and you've got to figure out what you're going to do to make the problem go away. So you create this space inside. And if I've got space enough inside, then there's room for God to do work. And there's room for me to be in a conversation. There's room for me during the week to sit down for a clergy lunch with, quite frankly, the clergy keep changing on our district all the time. People come, people go. I'm sitting at the table and I realized, I only know four of the people at my table. And there were 25 of us. How can I only know four of the people at my table? Well, because apparently a lot of people come and go. That's the way it works, I guess. So I'm looking at the four people I know, and I realize making space. So I'm listening to other stories. One of the things we learn about hospitality from the inside, before we talk about it from the outside, is that we often listen with an op looking for an opportunity to respond. When you start telling me a story, my natural response is to try to figure out, well, what am I going to say back when she tells me this story? Marge tells me a story. I'm not listening to her story. I'm looking for key words that will be respondable. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, Christmas. Oh, Christmas, yes, we're prepared for Christmas. You know, whatever the word is, I'm looking for the jump-off place. Instead of making space for Marge to just be Marge, because if I can make space in my heart to just listen to Marge's story without the need to respond or react, then I've created space. What would it be like if I could listen to God in, without a need to respond or react to everything that I hear from God? Sometimes God just wants me to know He loves me. Oh, I love you, James. Yeah, but what do you want me to do about James, right now, I just want you to know I love you. That's all. And for all of you right now, if you don't know it, God loves you. God already loves you. And maybe that's all you need to know right now. God, not least, You don't even need to know about making space in your life because you've already made so much space, it's unbelievable. But maybe you haven't. And there's no space for love to get in there because you've crammed so much stuff in there. You know, if we don't have any other talent as Americans... Cramming stuff into places is one of our best ones. You know what one of the growing industries in America is? The $38 billion a year industry is storage. For every American, there is storage space, seven and a half square feet of storage space for every American. That's how much storage space and storage places there are. Not counting our houses. You know, we wonder, how did people live in those quaint little tiny houses that they used to live in? It's because they didn't have so much stuff to keep cramming in there. <laughs> and so we need bigger houses. Why? Because we got more stuff to put in there so we can get some more stuff. In fact, you all provide me a house, 
That's a great thing. We bought a house for our retirement in West Virginia, a little tiny cabin. I tell us a cabin, my dad said to me after he came to visit me there, this is not a cabin, you can't call 3,400 square feet a cabin, James. I'm sorry, you just can't. And I said, yeah, but it's kind of Spartan. But now, stuff is appearing there. <laughs> and now I have stuff in Alexandria, I have stuff in Hardy County, West Virginia, and pretty soon they're going to be at parity, how much stuff I have in both places. And then someday I'm going to retire. You know, I know that you think I might stay forever, but there will come a day. Mandatory retirement in the United Methodist Church is currently 72 years. If the United Methodist Church lasts until I'm 72 years old, then I will retire from the United Methodist Church. If St. James lasts that long, I don't know, after this sermon you might say, I'm, we'll give him plenty of space. He can have the whole room to himself every Sunday morning. You know, uh, maybe so, I don't know. But the truth is, I've got all this stuff. We've got to get rid of stuff. I was in the basement cleaning the other day, talking about stuff and not having room for stuff. We go into the basement and we like, have we become an episode of Hoarders? Linda is not here right now, so I could say that out loud. Don't tell her I said it. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But when the kids were little, I made them a special cake every year for, for, for their birthdays. And I would use the Wilton method. And so I have Wilton pans. I don't have one Wilton pan because every year they got to pick what kind they wanted. We have dinosaur Wilton pants. We have Barbie Wilton pants. We have SpongeBob Square pants, Wilton pants. We have soccer Wilton pants. We ha you name it. I have got a Wilton pan. I could make you a cake. I won't, but I could in any shape, size, or form. We're giving those away. I said to Linda, honey, when's the next time I'm going to make one of these cakes? I buy a cake pan every year, two every year, one for Hannah's birthday, one for Joshua's birthday, whatever they wanted, and made it for him. I will never do that again. I love them. They do not want SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and I no longer have the tensile strength in my wrist to squeeze tiny stars out to cover the entire cover. You know, I began to think it was like a multi-square yard in the end. You know, at the end, I'm walking around the house like this. What's wrong with that? Dad can't squeeze any more stars. No more stars from that boy's hand. This is all just a way of saying, we have stuff. We have too much stuff outside our bodies, so there's no room for any more. And as long as you're already full, you know, you don't need just a better system of storage. You need to get rid of some stuff. I need to get rid of some stuff in my life outside, but I also need to get rid of some stuff on the inside that doesn't let me have room for other people. I make assumptions about other people before I even meet them sometimes. I make assumptions about them. You know, uh, I'll tell you, every year I go to the clergy lunch and I'm making assumptions about clergy. You know, what is this going to be like? Is this going to be another thing where I have to talk about God? In very shallow terms, you know... Yes, God is big. Or how many people are coming to my Christmas Eve service? Like, I don't even really care. I'd love for them all to come, but I also am fine with whoever comes. It's the way that it is. Life is like this. Come if you will, don't if you won't. I don't want to have those conversations. Talk about how God is changing your life. I want space for that kind of conversation. 
But because I go with my preconceived notion, there's no room for me to even hear. I'm halfway through the clergy luncheon before I, I'm thinking of the implications of some of these stories I heard from the other clergy. Why? Because there was no room for me to hear their story. Because I assumed it was going to be a waste of my time. Sorry, clergy people who are watching. You aren't watching. You're, hopefully you're preaching somewhere else. Just ignore me. You know, uh, the truth is, we make assumptions about something. I'm sure they assume, oh my gosh, is that James Henry still at St. James? And is he coming to this luncheon? Crap, he's going to say something stupid about crackhead pastors or, you know, Santa or something. I talked about Santa on crack on, on Wednesday, and they were like, what the heck is this guy? You know, uh, when I was little, Santa really was kind of on crack because, I mean, I just want to tell you, I went to bed on Christmas Eve. There was no tree. There was no decoration. There was nothing in the house. I would wake up on Christmas morning, Santa would have brought a live cut tree, <laughs> decorated the entire tree. I don't know how it came down this, the, the chimney. An entire tree down the chimney, decorate the whole thing, decorate the house, eating all the cookies. That was where the crack was maybe, I don't know. Laid toys out, wrapped toys, and all around the tree. And I'm thinking to myself, we're just one house. How did this even happen? And I'm sure Santa was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> because I talked to my friends and they were like, no, we set up our tree in advance. We don't make Santa do that hard work. Apparently at my house, we made Santa work really wicked hard. Really wicked hard. Maybe mom and dad had to even get up and help him out. Because that dude had to be wasted by the time he was finished at our house completely. So, you know, you can't make all these things fit into this season. So I guess what I want, you know, I've gone all over the place, but the, the truth is, how many things do you really need to make Christmas Christmas for you? What is it that you have to have to make Christmas Christmas? You know, is it certain foods? Is it certain decorations on the tree? Is it certain lighting patterns? Is it lighting candles in your life? You know, it's become a part of Christmas isn't Christmas for me anymore unless we have this stinking piece of paper in my house and we're putting food in a box because of it. You know, this has become a part of my Christmas now. I, you know, Linda is like, the other night, we had forgotten about it. She came home really late because, you know, she's distributing to 600 families today or something like that. Come on, get a life. Come on home when you're supposed to be here. Fix me some dinner, girl. And uh, see, she's not here. She's not here. I can be as brave as I want to be when that girl's not here. I can fix dinner too, and I do. We have some nice toast periodically that's only slightly burnt and some boiled water. I can do both of those things without my eyes closed. But, you know, I, we pulled this, we're getting ready to go to bed. We're both exhausted. It had been a long day. I think that was the day of the clergy lunch. So um, I, I, we're coming in, and Linda said, we can't go to bed until we look at, the, until we look at this thing. we got to look at this thing. And I'm like, all right, we'll look at this thing. So it was Wednesday night. You know, what is another way to show love to your neighbor? What is another way to show? And that was it. I thought, that could not have been my question I put on here. It wasn't. It was Linda's question put on there. But uh, So we stopped and put food in our, because that is Christmas to us now, giving food. That's going to go right into the garage next door. So it can feed people on Monday nights. But what have you put into your Christmas that really doesn't have to be there? 
What is the things that you have put into your Christmas? In the short term, I have assignments for you short and long term. The short term experience, make five minutes a day in the coming week. Five minutes a day. Get up five minutes early. Stay up five minutes late. Take five minutes from your lunch to sit by yourself and just breathe. Just breathe. Don't plan anything. Don't write anything down. Don't, you know, don't cook something because Lord knows you can't cook anything in five minutes. Well, the microwave, oatmeal, you could do it. You could, if you, don't. Don't. For five minutes, sit quietly. People tell me they can't find 20 minutes. You can find five. Even if it's five extra minutes before you go to bed. You go into your room. Some of us by ourselves. Depends on what time we're going to bed. Some of us, we might as well be going in by ourselves because our spouse has already gone to bed and is asleep and we're not because we wander around nocturnally, um, whatever. Uh, take five minutes. Take five minutes to be by yourself and just create some space. Breathe and create some space. Because space is what makes it possible for there to be more room inside of us. You know, if you really think about it, God is constantly pouring God's self out. The Father into the Son, the Son into the Spirit, the Spirit into the Father. It's just a constant outpouring. And the only reason there can be room for there to be a more inpouring is if you pour out some of the stuff that's inside. We have to make a little room. Now, long term, I want you to look at your patterns in life. And by long term, I sit down this week with your journal. What are the things that you fit into this week that you can't even believe that you tried to fit into Christmas? What did you try to fit in this week? What did you try to fit in that you fit in all year round? What are the things you could, you could do without fitting in? Do you have one of those storage facilities? I'm not going to judge you for it. Because I have one, it's called the West Virginia House. <laughs> Mine's 3,400 square feet. So, you know, oh, I don't want to throw this away. I'll just take it to West Virginia. <laughs> Do you have one of those storage places? Is there a way to pare down what you have, to simplify your life? Because the more things you have, the more time it takes to take care of the things that you have. The less things you have, the less things in your schedule, the less things in your heart, the more space there is for God to work, for you to listen, and for you to be about God's work in the world. Maybe there being no room in the inn, next week we're going to find out. Maybe there was a good reason for there not to be room in the inn. We're going to talk about the earthiness of the manger, of, of being born in an animal trough. But that's next week. Maybe there's a good reason there's no room at the inn. But for you and I, we need to make some room because God wants to be a part of our lives, not just an add-on, but maybe the whole thing. And we can find ways to fit that and make that happen.